What's that supposed to mean? I just see a lot of teenage mothers come through here. It's obviously a poisonous environment to raise a baby in. How do you know that I'm so poisonous, you know? Like, what if these adoptive parents turn out to be like evil molesters? Or like stage parents? They could be utterly negligent. Maybe they'll do a far shittier job of raising a kid than my dumbass stepdaughter ever would. Have you considered that? No, I guess not. Yeah. What is your job title exactly? I'm an ultrasound technician, ma'am. Well, I'm a nail technician, and I think we both ought to stick to what we know. Excuse me? Oh, you think you're so special because you get to play picture pages up there? My five-year-old daughter could do that, and let me tell you, she's not the brightest bulb in the tanning bed. So why don't you go back to night school in Mantino and learn a real trade? Hello, listening people. Hello. Oh, hi, Bartek. How are you? Good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing spectacular. Yeah, that's good to hear. Oh, oh, okay. Speaking fast, talking fast, you're a fast one today. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. Uh, thank you very much. Until next time, remember to be kind to each other. Bartek, let's get real. Let's get proper. We're spin Polish likingly because we're always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. Coincidentally. Coincidentally. Can you tell me what the most popular Polish name is for a male and a female? Um, First name. Don't quote me on it, but I think perhaps the most popular male wine is Jan. Spelled the uh, same as Jan, and it's the equivalent of John. Okay. Maybe, that's just a little guess. So not Bartek. Not, not Bartłomiej, not Bartosz. No. Um, I'm not sure about the female one. Really? Yeah, I haven't thought just about it. Just say your mum's name. Agata. There you go. We nailed it down. So that's the Polish content for our film discussion <laughs> podcast in which we talk about a movie that's come. We're going to be number three any second now. Recommended. We are here talking about a movie that came recommended from one of the listening people. The listening person is actually here. Uh, when I say listening person, someone who's three years behind on our show, but still nonetheless is I'm my more. nonetheless my wife. Uh, Rachel, formerly Apps, now Slowinski. Hello, how are you? Hi, that was not how you told me that I was going to be introduced and I'm very disappointed. I don't even remember how I said you're going to be introduced. You said that you were going to introduce me as the wonderful host of Yum Yum Trek. Oh yeah, the Yum Yum podcast. Rachel hosts that with this amazing guy, Ryan Slowinski. Don't know who he is. They talk about Star Trek, Discovery, rewatch format. Amazing show, worth checking out. It's a little bit... uh. It's got a little bit. It's got something for everyone. A little bit something for everyone. Uh, Wait. So what's Rachel's last name? Uh, Slowinski. What's your last name? Uh, Slowinski. He just uh-huh. called me his wife. You're my wife. Yes. So but, that but, all adds but up. But the Ryan Slowinski that hosts Yum Yum Trek is an unrelated Ryan Slowinski. One filled with in this yum. One narrative, the- I think. I keep I keep thinking of it as Yum Yum Cast. It's actually called Yum Yum Trek. So, so our show, our podcast is called Yum, not ours. Their podcast is called Yum Yum Podcast. Uh-huh. And since they're talking about Star Trek, the name of that is Yum Yum Trek because it's focusing on Trek. Just so in also the, one day that's if there's any other show we want to if they uh-huh. want to cover like Babylon Five, they can call it Yum Yum Five. Or Battlestar Yum Yum, or okay, so Desperate it, Yum it's Yum. The, it's the Trek but, saga. You're going to yeah. beat Freezer, then you're going to go to something yeah, exactly, else. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, Freezer Star Trek, right? Uh, no. Star Wars. You know what's really funny? Yeah. I thought for a moment that was a Mortal Kombat villain that you had to fight. <laughs> then I remember that's Sub Zero. <laughs> yeah. So we are here talking about a movie you recommended, Rachel. You recommended the 2007 film Juno, didn't you? You're to blame. It, kind of. I said that it might be interesting for you two to discuss 
Juno on Pitch's powwow because it's very much not a film that is made for you too. Oh, interesting point of view there. So we will be talking about Juno from 2007. Uh, if you have not seen the film, uh, you're going to get spoiled if you listen to this. We're going to talk about the details. We're going to talk about the plot. We're going to talk about the twists, the narrative turns. If you have not seen this Best Picture nominee, mm-hmm. Juno, yeah, uh, from 2007... Well, it's your time to do it now because we are spoiling it. And, you know, you've got to experience it for yourself. A girl gets pregnant. Yeah, a girl gets pregnant. That's the story. Uh, just to get things off the top of the, you know, just to dust this stuff off, we're aware that uh, Elliot Page, you know, is trans and all that. So if we're using pronouns that aren't he and him, it's more in reference to the character of yes. Juno, not the actor. We're Juno, aware of that. Juno is a pregnant girl. Yes. The so, actor is a male. Yes. So if we do sound like we're misgendering, Please, please, please know that we're trying or it to refer. Appears inconsistent. We're trying to more so refer to the character. If we're going to talk about Elliot Page, we'll talk about Elliot Page as like the actor. But most of the yeah. time, when we talk about movies on the show, we just kind of just talk about the characters more so, yeah. and then break it down of oh, this actor's performance. Like yeah. last week with Fargo, like William H Macy. Francis McDormand, you know, we referred to them separately to the, the, yep. the characters or how they yep. tied in. And we don't intend to say the name Ellen at any point. Yes, yeah. but uh, that's that. Uh, Juno, uh, Rachel, could you tell us Bartek's history with this movie? Could you take a guess what it is? You've listened to the pod. What do you think Bartek's history with this is? I'm switching it up. I want to yeah, yeah. play the let's guess Bartek's history game. Okay. One of the potential answers that I've given in the past applies to this one. It's one of the th- oh, three answers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not I've seen it on a flight. Oh, that was... No, I was going to go with the you watched this with your mum. Yes. Oh, fuck. I was going to go with the you've never even seen this and heard of it before. <laughs> it wasn't in cinemas, but I've seen it with my mum. Yeah. I... I was thinking of like you guys chilling on the couch, uh, surrounded by, by, by all the Virgin Marys and Virgin Marys <laughs> and elephants. The elephants and the Marys. Yes. yes. You may have had a frog in your pocket, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you get in my pocket? On your keychain. <laughs> oh, my one that says Buddha or something. Yeah, on it. yeah and makes a little croaky noise. Uh, a clicky noise. So you saw this, Bartek. How long ago would you say you, you caught up with, with it, Juno? It would have been a few years after it came out. So I'm guessing this was 2007, possibly mm. 2009-ish. Oh, so when you were still in high school? Yeah. So when you were still in this age demographic that it's aimed towards teen? Yeah, probably when I was around the main character's age. No, yeah. Because it's like 2007, I would have been 14. Then I would have been 16. I'm guessing around that point. How did you feel about it that first time time round? And when you watched it, did you know it's like reputation? Because I remember this one being like a big movie at the time. It was heavily marketed. Like the poster of the pregnant girl and Michael Sarah standing mm-hmm. next to her was... You know, it was it was something that really st- stood out, and I mm. think I didn't watch the Oscars at that point, but I knew that it was like an award winner. Yeah. Um. I I just knew like, oh, this is one of those good films. Yeah. That people like. And when you saw it that first time, how did it hit for you? Um. I think my overall opinion was it's just okay, but mm-hmm. the thing that really stuck with me was like how quirky all the characters were to an almost insane degree. You mean twee? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a word you taught me like last year or two years ago, I think. Yeah, it describes Wes Anderson. I think you and Grayson taught it to me. Well, 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 there you go. Uh, Rachel, what's your history with this film and I relationship? I didn't see it in the cinemas either. 
I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that I rented it from mm. a local DVD rental store in my hometown. Right. And I remember really enjoying it and then becoming obsessed with the soundtrack. Mm. And then... It does have a striking soundtrack. It's fairly distinctive and it adds to the overall level of quirk. Oh, yes. It's a character all on its own. Yes. Yeah. And then I was just like, I rewatched it a couple of years later mm. and it didn't hit quite as hard because I just, I felt like the movie shifted mm. very, like there's a pinpoint moment and the way that it shifts, you're either like, I wanted it to be on the first path the whole way through or I wanted it to be on the second path the whole way through. You, yeah, mm-hmm. you can say the shift. You can say you can say his name, Jason Bateman, three times. <laughs> <laughs> I had never seen this movie. For, like, I never saw this movie for quite some time. I remembered it existed. Mm-hmm. I remembered that this is the movie that Elliot Page was famous for. It's like, oh, that's the movie that, that Elliot Page plays that role that only Elliot Page can play. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Elliot Page is, I don't think, the world's greatest actor, but very specific character actor. Like, they can play this role. Yeah, I didn't necessarily know their name at the time. I didn't know Ellen Page, but I always, whenever I looked at them, I was like, oh, it's it's Juno. Yeah, and it was always, oh, that's Juno. Juno, Juno, Juno. And I knew it was like, teenage girl gets pregnant, decides to keep the child in some way, shape, or form. That's all I knew. And, yep. it, and I had an assumption of, oh, this is going to be about a girl in high school getting pregnant and dealing with that. And that's kind of what it is, but it's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought there was going to be more of that social ostracizing in the high school, American high school setting. I thought there was going to be more yeah. po- like classroom, yeah. adolescent politics and dynamics going on, they but that's in the background. It, they refer to it, but they it's not what any of the plot is about. So I eventually did see this movie when we were in our first year of university. I was at a friend's party, house party, and we decided, hey, we're going to watch Juno. And everyone in the room had seen it except for me. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, oh, Ryan, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. It's going to be I did good. not. You <laughs> I did not. I did not think I was there to clarify. I was about to say, "Oh, Rachel was there." Yeah, Rachel was <laughs> yeah, it wasn't was, her party, but you It wasn't my party and this was before we were officially dating. But most but of the people I like you would just, love this, Ryan, cuz you yeah, love movies. You, you that love was what movies. people were saying and I was just like, "I don't I don't think this is after you're going to sh- really like and it." And this is after I show them Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and they're yeah. like, "That was a weird movie." And they're like, "You didn't like <laughs> Juno though, Ryan." So, it let was me a weird follow-up that was so juno was this thing that was like you're gonna like this ryan and i was in a really upbeat mood that night Mm -hmm. i was really enjoying myself enjoying the company having a real fun time it was like late into the night so it was like yeah we're gonna finish we're gonna watch this movie maybe people fall asleep but i'm gonna watch it yeah and i was watching the movie and I really liked it. I had a great time with it. It surprised me because, as Rachel said, this this doesn't seem like the type of movie I would like. And I really enjoyed the characters. I really enjoyed the setting. 
I like the tone. I like the dialogue. I like the, the overall thing, too much to my surprise. Mm-hmm. And every now and then there are movies like this that happen where you watch them and they caught you in a good mood. And you think to yourself, if I saw this at another time, I would not have appreciated this movie. A movie similar to this that I had this exact same experience with in high school it was when we were wrapping up high school. We watched Easy A the uh, Emma Stone movie in which she gets socially ostracized because she keeps pretending to be a whore for some reason. And I loved that movie when I saw it and I went to rewatch it. Didn't like it. Mm-hmm. it. It was, I watched it in a good mood with peers. And this is one of those movies where I feared that, but here's the rub. I never got to finish Juno that first time. Oh yeah. Eight years ago. Because uh, no names are going to be given, but someone we've had as a guest on the pod before, a guy um, who we know phoned us up and it was like 10.30 at night and he was like, hey guys, I said I was going to come to the party. I I just got off whatever I was doing and I've decided I'm going to come, but I don't know where the apartment is. Could you guys help me? Come find me. And we had to pause (laughs) the movie, right? walk outside, and he was... 40 minutes away walking distance. So we walked 40 minutes to go find him and then had to walk the 40 minutes back. So by the time we came back, no one wanted to watch Juno anymore. And I was literally the only person. And I remember the exact scene. We paused it at the scene in which Jason Bateman does the turn in the movie and Jennifer Garner and all of that. And Juno like runs out at yep. the end of the scene. That's where we paused it. And Rachel was telling me, oh, I was so close to the end. And that killed me. And I never saw the movie until now, mm-hmm. to the end. Right. Because I knew, I had this trauma about it, where it's like I was denied watching it to the end. And I just thought, I'm just never going to watch it, you know? Because I had that feeling, like I said, of I don't know if I'm going to like this movie. Because one of the things I mentioned last week is this movie was beloved. Oscar nominee. People thought it was a great representation of our youth. And all of this stuff. And then over the years, it's been quickly turned against. There's a... And apparent people don't like it because it's a pro... People think it's a pro-life movie. There's People don't like the quirky dialogue and the zany twee characters. And I thought, well, I'm not going to like it because I caught it... In a good mood. In that once-in-a-lifetime good mood, like I did with Easy A. And then I wasn't allowed to watch the ending. I thought, well, if I ever do watch the ending, I'm not going to like it because I also have this stigma that I was denied the ending by some dickhead who decided at the end of the night they wanted to join the party. And I was just annoyed. And so it was a great reason to do this on the pod because we're thinking about things analytically, we're revisiting things or seeing things for the first time. And this is one of those movies where I have this really weird, complicated history with it. And I wanted to see it. And I had been seeing people buzzing about it recently, obviously because of Elliot Page's announcement of, uh, you know, transitioning. And that brought up everyone bringing up Juno again. And it made me think, oh. Yeah, we were going to do it a few weeks ago, right? But Yeah, and then that happened. I didn't want to make it feel like we were marketing off of that in any way, shape or form. Uh, it was just coinciding at the same time randomly. So I've been thinking about it. And Rachel brought it up. Oh, you should do it for the pod. It'll be one because it's not des- like it's a movie that, you know, isn't designed for us as movie watchers we're not into these type of movies primarily and i was shocked to hear that you have actually seen this movie before bartek <laughs> what did you think of it on this revisit it's been like you said like yeah like know, a, almost a decade uh, yeah technically 11-ish years if i was right yeah yeah um that's right yeah i think i enjoyed it a little bit more this time around because mm. like i said the main thing i remembered was the the tweeness of the film 
uh, if that's the word, tweeness, the yeah. noun. Um, and early on, it was heavily like that. But as the mm. film went on and the seasons changed and things got a bit more serious, like they kind of dialed back on it a bit to a more uh, moderate degree. And I, I was mm. a bit more into that kind of tone of the film. Yeah. And they let me, you know, focus on the other aspects of the film. And yeah, it was, it was a, I think, a better experience this time. I felt that. The the first, like, 20 minutes, it was as if I was watching a movie by an alien culture trying to replicate our culture. Quirk, quirk, quirk. Rain Wilson. It remain, it, <laughs> fucking Rain Wilson. He speaks like he's not from this earth. I don't know what he's saying. And I know it's only there to be quirky and funny, but I just... I just could not believe it. I said to myself, why the fuck did I tolerate this eight years ago? What the fuck? There's this line. I can't remember the line. They're on the burger phone and her dumbass friend, the chick from uh, Dread, she has this line where she's like, honest to blog? And I just, yes, oh, I almost, and I almost killed myself. Like, right there and then I almost, like, Rachel looked at me and she saw me, like, grabbing my wrist and I was, like, squeezing it because I was like, if I just fucking cut off the circulation to my hand, I'll be distracted by that. Because that line was one of the most absurd fucking things I've ever heard. And I said to myself, honest to blog? Why did I tolerate this eight years ago? But you're right, it's our first act. It's like, yeah. it's so quirk overload to the point in which, I don't know why they did that. It also reminds me in tone a lot of the Zach Braff directed film Garden State. <sighs> yes, yeah, our old friend Braff. Oh, Zach. Is he the one from The X? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he Braffs, we Braff ourselves. Not Jason Bateman, Zach Braff. No, but there's a lot of our podcast returning guests in this uh, one, Jason Bateman, Jennifer Garner, who's like our Paul, really, she's the female Paul Giamatti. Look, she's in every I, movie. I looked up, this is like the fifth time we've done a movie with her in it. <laughs> and she's played the exact same fucking role in each one of them. Yep. If you told me that she was married to Kevin Spacey in this movie, that she was the one from Nine Lives, I would believe you. <laughs> she's the exact same character. Jennifer Garner can only play two roles, which is uptight businesswoman and maternal figure and in this she gets to be both and 13 year old in a 30 year old body but then she had to pretend to be an uptight businesswoman in that <laughs> like, yes but 13 year old pretending to be an uptight businesswoman you're mm-hmm. right and if she a little bit of a spin you know how in this movie Juno she's like running off to her job and we don't really understand what her job is like I think they probably say what it is but I don't remember she's just like woman in business suit I would like I was watching this and I was going and I was just thinking to myself man is she helping Matthew McConaughey with his aides somewhere else? Because she plays the exact same fucking character in Dallas Buyers Club. Mm-hmm. She's like the exact same fucking character. And it's like, can Jennifer Garner only play these two roles? They're in the wrong state for that. Maybe that's really why work. she's gone for so long. She drives mm. real long yeah, distances. She drives to Dallas. So, Rachel, what did you think about Juno on this revisit? You've had a rocky relationship with it. You've fallen in and out of love. As has the general sphere of the world, it seems. It seems yeah. people either love or hate this movie. Now, at first, it was beloved. Now, it's somewhere. I think it lands somewhere in the middle for me at the moment because I recognize how much of it is it being so of its time. Mm-hmm. And it is so 2007 and all over the place and... It's not at that stage where it makes me feel nostalgic. It just makes me feel a bit cringy because it reminds me of what I was like when I was younger and how I'm very glad that I've left 
the majority of those things long, long behind me. Um, but like in terms of the quality of the script and the quality of the characters, it's really there. And I still really remember fondly and get like warm little heart feelings when I think of J.K. Simmons in this movie. Oh, he's I, great. Yeah. I really enjoy his performance, but I also really enjoy the character because J.K. Simmons brings a lot to that role, but I like mm. the realistic way that he's a dad. Like, he's not a great dad and he's not a bad dad, but he's, he's there for his daughter. Yeah, he's not thrilled by the situation, but he's mm. not, like, the evil villain of the yeah. movie. It's not like him he or d- Alison Janney are, like, vindictive or cruel or judgmental. Yeah, they have judgments Neither for sure. Neither of them try and convince like... her to do certain things. It's just like, okay, they give well, wisdom. you've gotten yourself into this situation. We will help you the best that we can. Yeah, I liked the scene where Juno was going to tell them that she's pregnant and, like, mm. they were actually giving, like, realistic things of, like, oh, are you going to tell us this? Are you going to tell us that? So it felt like, oh, they're actually kind of ready for something big. Like, they didn't yeah. guess on the, the pregnancy thing. Oh, Alison Janney did. She did. But she was she... hoping it was literally all the other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and it's just like, well, that makes sense for what we know of jo- Juno at that stage as well, that all of those things are distinct possibilities yeah, for expulsion, how... drugs, I think it was. How she, yeah. how she may have screwed up. Mm. And they realise that's the situation that they're in as well, which I really appreciate, because too often... But in teen comedies, the adults are so dumb and yeah. out of touch that when a situation like that happens, the adults don't even realize that they're about to have a serious conversation. Yeah. It's like, oh, what do you want, honey? I'm thinking of Roborex. Yeah, or they're the just well, they're just antagonists. That's all they serve. Like they're just roadblocks. You're a liar. Outright. But they feel. I taught you my values, and you've betrayed them. How could you do this to me, the adult? They feel like people, and they feel realistically like parents. Mm. And I particularly really appreciated the way that Bren is betrayed as a stepmother to Juno and how Mm. that is a distinctly different relationship than the one that she has with LB, who's her biological daughter. Yeah. And the way that it's, it's not a, I'm more connected to my daughter than I am connected to my stepdaughter, but that's a different relationship and I have a different role in that dynamic. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I love one more than the other because you see the way her love is shown for Juno through her actions and through what she says, and particularly that scene where she defends Juno's kind of integrity and potential to be a good mother... Mm. To the, the yeah, yeah, to the ultrasound technician. Yeah, yeah. You guys both have that kind of insight too, as people in which you both have, you know, uh, remarriage, step parents yeah. of some variety. I don't know if 
Bartek, your stepmother figure has children of her own, but I know your one does. Yes. Rachel. So yeah, but I have from a, ste- a previous yeah. marriage, so it's yeah, from like a previous. I, I, I have still, you know, I have both. I have the stepbrother, and I have. Uh, she's had a child with my dad, so half sister. So you guys kind of have a deeper insight into that kind of dynamic that Rachel's talking about than than I do. I just see it as, oh, Alice and Jenny's just nice. She's like, <laughs> she's just a cool woman who who tells her the truth, loves dogs. Like yeah. while while J.K. he's a good dude or whatever but he's still like he's the more judgmental one out of the two because it is his daughter mm. um and he's a bit disappointed while yeah. she is a bit more understanding but also she does that thing where it's like you can't just hang out with a married man on your own it's kind of weird you don't understand the world from this maturity point of view of you, of don't, like, understand you don't understand from what a, it is to, to be, be in a marriage and, mm. and to the be a- expectations and boundaries that you need to set when you are in that kind of relationship. And to be a woman. You're yeah. still a girl. Uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be honest. When that conversation happened, it actually like struck up topics that I wasn't thinking of. Like, oh, but she's so much younger than him, so yeah. Yeah, and she's pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's she gonna do? Yeah, like it you it really highlights a and he's way a good guy. <laughs> that that it didn't really feel like it during the scene. But with that point that Bren brings up, you realize the layers of power imbalance between them. Yeah. And it's it's all of these different things like the age, like the maturity, like the fact that her baby is meant to become his son or daughter or just yeah. child. I Bartek, just so that you know in case you don't already, this is by the same people who made Jennifer um Jennifer's body. Oh, really? Yeah. I knew it had the... Same script, right? I think it's the same director, if okay. I'm not mistaken. I may be mistaken. I knew, it had, sure. I knew it had the Asian girl in it as well, and but I didn't JK. know... And J- JK. JK, yes. Yeah, Minnesota guy. Yeah. Say, oh, say... I talked about that last week. Yeah. So, I think in a weird way, I like... Look, I liked Juno uh, on this watching of it, uh, but there were things I didn't like. Mm. And there's problems in both this and Jennifer's body. There's There's serious problems, but it's like... Jennifer's body to me did a better job of consistency of tone because to me, I wish that the movie's tone was the second half of the movie the whole way through. That first act of yeah, just the, pure quirk, yeah, the quirkiness. it didn't make sense to me when you see the full picture because it all tones down. It's not as if they aren't quirky characters, but I really wish the quirk was left between her, Michael Sarah, and her friend. But it was like everyone, like Rain Wilson's in one scene. He need, didn't even need to be in the movie. And it's like, he's a full grown adult talking like this. Yeah. You have this woman in the store who we never see either again. And it's like, oh, everyone talks like in this writer's dialogue but then the movie and i said to rachel i don't know did the movie settle down or did i acclimatize to it did the movie actually settle down on the quirk or did i just get comfortable with it after a certain point i'm not a hundred percent sure i think it's a bit of both i think it definitely did tone it down a bit but there are moments where Juno just says like some fucking absurd shit and made me roll my eyes, but I I stopped caring at that point in terms of like how I did at the beginning because at the beginning it felt like I walked into an aliens approximation of teenage culture. Yeah, I I had a very similar experience, but I think it might be it might be the movie because mm. the beginning part of it where everything's still not as big a deal, Juno's still like, you know, deciding like, what am I going to do with this baby? Who am I going to tell? Mm. Like you are surrounded by all this, like just onslaught of quirkiness. Like the opening credits. The opening, like the most quirk 
overboard. Goes overboard. Yeah, but like I said before, like as the seasons pass, Juno mm. makes big decisions. She starts actually like having this emotional attachment to the family that she's going to give the baby to. I feel like she kind of matures as a character. So she's, she's yeah. around more mature language, but she is still, you know, sort of got those quirks of her own. Yeah, I like to me it's a detriment tonally. Like Jennifer's body did similar thing, but like to me it was tonally consistent. It wasn't like all quirk overload at the beginning so yeah, that it transitions that, yeah. into the horror feel at the end. You still had like at the end it's like you stabbed me in the boob and it still like matches my what tit. we Yeah, my tits, <laughs> you know, my tit and all of that kind of stuff where you're still chuckling at it now. It's like but by the end of this movie it feels like it feels like it's a different movie. It feels like the first act of this movie was that quirky teen indie film made by Diablo Cody's script. And then by the end, it matured into this sensible, really thought-provoking, I felt things. Yeah. But the first half of the movie, I was completely alienated to every single character. And I only felt like I warmed up to them because it does feel like the film like starkly just drops it. And it feels like... That is deliberate, but I it just didn't feel beneficial to yeah, me. I, I just can't... wish I enjoyed the movie like how I did in the second half the whole way through. I wish I cared the I keep, whole way through. Yeah, I keep thinking of those two characters in like the science class when Juno uh, goes. What to was sleep. that? Exa- yeah, that's exactly it. What what was that? <laughs> like I thought there was like some sort of irony where the girl was complaining about something that was on a very minor scale compared to I'm pregnant. Yeah, no, I see like that. that scene as more the demonstration of why Juno is so hesitant to become a couple mm-hmm. with Michael Sarah. Right, because right. this is the kind of couple situation that she's seeing with people her age. Like yeah. she's seeing romantic relationships not work out right. for people her age. I guess that would have worked better to me. I know that you'd have to restructure everything, but it, that would have worked better to me if that happened before she knew she was pregnant. Because to me... That's like small fish in comparison to what her actual problems is at that point. Yeah. Mm. Like when she's at that point in the story, I didn't even get the hint that she was worried about forming a relationship with Michael Sarah because she seemed pretty adamant of what she wanted to do, which is something oh, I like. Yeah, she was very she's adamant very of, I want to get rid of the child or at least I want to adopt it, this, this, this. I never got at the start of the movie that she was hesitant about if she got into a relationship with Michael Sarah. That no, kind of evolved she's made the later. Deci- she's made the decision that she doesn't, want to properly be a parent with him yeah yeah. definitely not being a parent with him at the age that they are Mm. but at that stage she's kind of flirting with the idea of maybe getting back with him it's that's that's the start of that thread for me I gotta be with well, not the exact. Topic. I gotta, you know what I would think would work better. Again, I think of movies now and shows time management. I think of time a yeah. lot. I would rather instead of like a pointless comedy bit, which that was supposed to be. It was supposed to be like, oh, this isn't isn't this funny? Like it does tie into what Bartek's saying. Like they've got this these stupid problems. While the irony is that Juno actually has a big problem, but Juno's level headed about it, and they're being petty because they're teens, mm-hmm. and Juno's wise beyond her years. I would rather, instead of having time spent on that, of just having time of her and Michael Sarah interacting more. Because he's just kind of in the movie at sporadic points, and it's like, I just kind of wish I got to know him more with actually him being there instead of just 
narration telling us things. I gotta be honest, yeah, when I think back to my first viewing, I just remember, like, him being in some scenes and that was it. And mm. I thought that, like, oh, in my second viewing, I'll see, like, oh no, he was actually in the movie a lot more. And mm. admittedly, he was in it a bit more than I remembered, but it did kind of feel like, oh, he had, like, one or two appearances per season or whatever. It was also that thing of there were scenes in which they wanted to dem- they wanted to reinforce that he's immature still, like a teen, but then there was other moments in which they wanted to reinforce that he's actually pretty mature. And when those things happened, I just felt like, okay, I'll take your word for it. I don't know him very well. I know who... Michael Sarah is like like I think a lot of the movie banks on that with his character of well you know the Michael Sarah type because mm. it does doesn't it fill in a lot of the blanks to you that you've seen him play these type of yeah, characters I've seen so you often one. yeah you, you know and and Arrested Development all these other shows and all these things he has a type that he plays yeah. he has and, that stutter kind of thing yeah and he has the little squirtle face and he, he you know doesn't Am I insane? It feels like the movie kind of relies on... Because I think he was, like, the big name, right, at that time. Like He was on the yeah. poster. I think, for me, I inferred it differently than that. Mm. I inferred it more that he's trying to grow up, but his mum doesn't want to let him do that. Yeah. So the things that with are within his control, he tries to be more mature about but he's appropriately mature for a 16 year old i just wish there was more of him in yeah, the actual film to, to support that but like, i see like the race car bed uh, with the license plate poorly as his mum still being in charge of his life in that way and she keeps on trying to exert control and keep him as a child yeah which is just a lot of inference work on my end. That's the way that I see that character and that relationship that he has with his mother. But there is no time dedicated to that. I think one of my issues is, like I said, that first act, it feels like it's from a different thing. And then the second... A lot of the story beats in this all feel like they should have been their own stories, but they're all Mm. crammed in. So, like, her and Michael Sarah. That it feels like I could watch a whole movie of just that. Mm. And you could say that's a positive. So you feel like it's like an ensemble film where you're only really focused on one or two characters yeah, rather like, than everyone? Like Jason Bateman and Jennifer Garner, I feel like that's a whole movie you could do on them too because Rachel Which said Which adds like, to it feeling like a whole world populated by real people. Mm. But I found I found it frustrating at points because there's this character turn from from Jason Bateman that I feel like was just so abrupt. Like, yes, the breadcrumbs are there, but at the same time, I feel like I would understand this if I saw a movie from that character's perspective or those characters' perspective. And you could say that's a positive, you could say it's adding to the world building, but there was just so many times when I'm thinking pacing-wise, structure-wise, I'm like, why was her friend in this movie? Why is Jason Bateman even here? Like, there's this, these moments where it's like, I really like this stuff, I really like these characters, I really like this tone, I really mm. like this world, but it all doesn't feel like a and cohesive so whole. Many. It feels like really good short film ideas or whole film ideas lingering in the same stew together but not making a- episode a- ideas in a mini series yeah yeah like I, I i found them i found the jason bateman stuff compelling i found uh michael Sarah stuff compelling but it's again fighting for screen time and some of them are screaming i should get more than the others hence moments where it's like uh, who i you know her friend 
she kind of exists in the movie, and then she just kind of doesn't. And I didn't miss her at all because she wasn't really that interesting of a character. She was just someone she had to sound off to. Oh and my I said, Why can't that be Michael Sarah? Again, I'm thinking time. I'm like, cut this, cut this. But again, you need her to have a girlfriend because she's a girl and this is a feminine issue. You need someone like that, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I get that. But at the same time, there was just so much stuff. And again, that first act, all the quirk, I still don't buy into, like, I don't, I just don't think the movie needed it. I think it was indulgence on the writer because the writer has a very specific quirk style. But could you imagine if a Quentin Tarantino movie like, the first act of it was all all of the Tarantino dialogue, and then the rest of it was just Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's, like, that slow lounging around and feels like a different kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine that? It would be weird, right? Yeah. It would feel like, oh, the writer just wanted to get out all of their indulgences in the first act and then kind of get into the real stuff. It felt like to a me, pit stop. To me, it feels more like if you flip the structure of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you have the scene at the, All the end crazy. with the Manson cult members at the start of the movie and mm. and then it skips back. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels more like to me. But I also just want to add that part of this issues is these odd small contrivances that add up that are just like they just needed to cut a corner but you can tell that that's what they needed to do like yeah. i'm mainly thinking of the scene where they run into vanessa at the mall mm-hmm. yeah yeah and to me it just doesn't gel right it's like a it, movie scene it yeah and it's just like you're doing this in the, the middle of this space and you th- like doesn't kick for me it doesn't kick for me and it's a really vulnerable moment but it's in the middle of this public space and vanessa's friends have just walked off with their kids and left her behind yeah and it's like the best friends just standing there awkwardly and juno's like she's gonna make such a good mom and it's just like i know that you needed this moment she throws in a quick gay joke yeah yeah Okay. Oh my god, that was so weird. Da- so talking about so the date, 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 dated quality of the movie, and I know we talked like this when we were teens, but it was just so fucking whiplash-inducing when you have Elliot Page just remark that calling someone Madison is is like that's a gay. Name. Oh right, that too. Yeah. And then yeah, or, or like you just have just a, or just the constant like undercurrent of like slut shaming but it's not like that's the point of the movie that's just something in the movie like the random homophobia a, or slut shaming it's, it's not like not that's even something really jokes in the movie it's just statements I mean, it, that it, they make it made me laugh because it took me off guard I was yeah, like, Whoa, okay. but, they, but they aren't like structured jokes they're just like random comments that are just thrown in and they're thrown in by pretty much all of the characters at some stage which i think adds to like the dated nature but also why it's gone out of favor because we did used to talk like that in some way, shape, or form. It's like you would call things gay or people of our age demographic you, you have, just randomly, and you're like, where did that even spawn from? Or you have like, um, you know, attributes to names. Like I remember way back in our Dickie Roberts episode, Dickie. I referred to someone as a Brad, and you were like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what you're talking about. Now that now it's a Chad. Now it's Chad. Yeah. Yeah. Back then you were ahead of the curve with your Brad. You were almost there. You had an ad name, but now now it's Chad. <laughs> I. Like, 
I really did like this movie in sections, but I would just get taken out of it because it felt like every now and then you got the quirkiest actors you can get. Elliot Page, Michael Cera together in a movie. You know what you're going to get into, right? You mm-hmm. hear that? You know what you're going to get into. Okay, it's going to be quirky. But even they, as quirky actors, could not make the quirky dialogue sometimes feel feel natural. So, like, there will be a scene. I'm enjoying the scene. And then Michael Cera will just randomly say wizard in it. And I just got completely thrown out of the scene. It oh, almost Star felt Wars like, reference? It almost <laughs> felt like his eyes rolled back into his head and he was possessed by the writer. And he's like, I must say wizard here. It felt so unnatural at points. I was gonna... And sometimes it felt really natural. And to me, it's just like that balancing act. And sometimes it would just fall on its face and take me out of a scene. Sometimes it was more engaging and natural and would engross me into a scene, some of their random things. Like, I found uh, Juno really funny with Jason Bateman because mm. it's Jason Bateman's a seasoned pro of a certain type of comedy that surprisingly bounces off really well against this quirky type of comedy. So I found that... Yeah, they could snark at each other. Yeah, but just Jason Bateman, he's an old sitcom actor. You know, he's a child. He was a child actor, and he, you know, he's in Teen Wolf 2, and he has his way of doing comedy. Even with the quirky dialogue and stuff he's given, he brings his old-school comedic sensibilities to it. So, and while Elliot Page is bringing this full-on Diablo Cody quirk comedy, and the both of them smashing together with these two opposite ends of comedic delivery actually was beneficial. It actually worked and it made me like those scenes, you know, in spite of the quirky dialogue. And it actually made the quirky dialogue work because Jason Bateman would react to it like, okay, that was... It felt like he was aware. And also when you consider that it's like two different types of quirks, you know, battling against each other, it kind of works towards the twist that like, oh, he is actually kind of like a man-child character. Oh yeah, he always is. Yeah. I, you know, but I felt like there was too many moments in which the quirky stuff, especially at the beginning, took me out. But I did feel things. What about you, Bartek? Was there any particularly impactful moments in this movie? Because it's filled with a lot of big emotional moments or little moments. Was there anything that struck a chord with you? Um, Jumping back, I do agree that some of the J.K. Simmons stuff was very nice. Like when Juno, with no context, came up and asked him, like, oh, do you think two people can remain together forever? things like that, and then even mm. when you consider, that, like, oh, at one point he wanted to punch uh, <laughs> Michael Cera in the dick, and then... Wiener. Wiener, sorry, the p- pork sword. Uh, <laughs> um, and then at the end, when they have an interaction, he just grabs his shoulder and he's like, oh, is there going to be, like, a thing that happens? And he just walks away, and I was like, oh, that was nice. Yeah. Um, and I think the very last shot where they're singing the song together, it was like, oh, well, we just heard this song in the previous scene. Mm. Um, but at the very end, when she lent in to kiss Michael Sarah, I thought that was very cute. I really liked it. I don't know, it really just hit nice and hard for me when uh, Jason Bateman and Jennifer Garner are talking about painting the room yellow, as if mm. yellow is a gender-neutral colour. He's like, I've never known a boy with a yellow room, which is true. <laughs> and I just really liked their dynamic. It just felt real, because Rachel said to me, She's watched this many times. She's never under you. You said you've never understood why they were together in the first place because they're so opposite. And that scene there, even though they're talking opposite things, I felt the connection between the two actors. And again, Jennifer Garner is the reason he was in this movie. She worked with him on another movie and recommended him because she just really enjoyed working with him. And I could Mm -hmm. see that transcending into um, the characters having a dynamic that may not have been on the page of the script because obviously they are so 
polar opposites of one yeah. another. That scene really, really struck a chord with me of just him being like, hey, hey, you know, don't rush in. It's going to be all okay. Hence, when he does a character turn, like a scene later, it threw me for a loop because, yeah, he's got these scummy little things about him, these little man-child things. But that, the scenes like that where I just really got, I guess I got lured in. And then I got sucker punched. And mm. I guess that's the point. But sometimes, you know, I, you did, as an audience yeah. member, you don't appreciate I remem- the points. I, rem- I, rem- I remembered that he was going to have a turn at some point, but I didn't remember that the turn was that he leaves the situation. I he guess. just does it so weirdly, too. Like, he's standing there dancing with, like, a fully pregnant girl who's going to give him a baby. And he's like... Oh, we're so buddy buddy. I think I can tell you in confidence that I'm going to divorce my wife, and I don't understand what it's like. I don't understand what he's thought. I'm going to ruin is. the fairy tale thing that you're really invested in. And it doesn't it, like that didn't make any sense to me, other than it needs to happen for the script to progress forward. But it doesn't feel natural for like I, I don't understand where his character's headspace is at. Oh, but that's the point. You were Juno. You were like, wait, what? I was more like, well, yeah, that's stupid. Of course, Juno's not going to react positively to this. <laughs> And then he does a whole, like, hey, guys, I have a character thing that, you know, like, I, I don't want a kid. I, I want to be Kurt Cobain. I'm like, okay, <laughs> radio. And I just, like, to me, it kind of flushed any nuance of his character down to he's just the man-child character and nothing else. So I was just kind of mm. disappointed. Yeah, they, they had that interesting kind of dynamic where... When Juno meets the couple, it's like the the mother's really into it. He's a bit more distant, but then they have a thing in common so that mm. they get together a bit more. They get along a bit more. Mm. Jennifer Garner's a bit more distant, but then it kind of just gave one more point to Jennifer Garner, mm. which takes away all of Jason Bateman from the film. And the fact that you keep that, that you mention it like points and like it feels like a manufactured like a game. Yeah. Instead of just natural like how the film really does feel very natural at points, but then there's those artificial moments with the dialogue and this type of mm. thing, story structuring. It just kind of feels like oh yeah, right, we're yeah. gonna play the game. Yeah. I remember the awkward contrivances that I was bringing up. Yeah. Yeah, I remember in the mole scene when the friend and Juno were looking down on Jennifer Garner and she was, like, playing with the kid of the friend. Like, I thought mm. that that was going to be, like, a key scene where it's like, oh, however this scene plays out is probably going to be, you know, the ultimate outlook we have on Jennifer Garner. Like, oh, if she's struggling to get along with this kid, it's going to be that, like, oh, she's going to be the bad guy in the end. But if she gets along with it, then she's going to be fine. And she gets along with the kid and in the end... You know, it's fine. It's fine. She, if you're still in, I'm in, and they are in. I was noticing a lot that the film was doing that kind of thing, where it was very like, on purposely positioning characters in ways so that things will do this, this, this yeah, to appeal to the like, audience. Like on purposely way. positioning Jennifer Garner character as a very distant character for a lot of the movie, but not actually showing us anything wrong with her. So mm. that way, when they reel her back in at the end of the movie, it feels like it's. Um, earned like you don't feel cheated as an audience member that yeah. Jennifer Garner gets the baby Yeah, she had enough points she had enough points because they didn't actually reduce any points but throughout the movie they on purposely made her distant so that Jen, uh, Jason Bateman would get points in our favour so that way at the end when he ruins all of his points Jennifer Garner is untarnished as a character you see what I'm talking about every time you mention points I like start laughing like we are turning this into a game <laughs> that's how it feels yeah that that movie there feels like that like again I wish that this could have been that could have been fleshed out in its own movie about this couple one of which doesn't want to be a dad 
getting the adoption stuff going on. It feels like it could have been its its own kind of deal. Rachel, what about you? What what moment in the movie uh, hit hard for you on this watching or moments that have hit hard in the past? I love J.K. Simmons' little moment with Juno when she's in the hospital. Mm. And he's just sitting there and you can kind of get the sense that he's just been sitting there for a little while. Mm. Ju- just being there, not needing to talk. And he just says, like, you know, one day you'll be back here on your own terms. And it's so earnest and you feel at least I do feel the love that he has for his daughter and also the recognition that she's done what she wanted to and she's probably, she's done the right thing for herself. But that doesn't take away the pain that Mm. she is feeling and the fact that this is still a very significant moment in her life and that, Juno's finally kind of realized that because she throughout most of the film is very kind of flagrant about her pregnancy and is just like well in 40 weeks we'll we'll just forget that this ever happened Mm. and that moment kind of shows that no this will stay with her this Mm. does still matter and it still counts yeah, and Michael Sarah's character in the later part of the movie helps serve that as well. Their whole falling out and mm. bitterness between one another, or mainly between just Juno against him, and then the revelation on Juno's part of actually, no, he's a good guy, and all that also feeds into that because for the most of the movie, Juno's been like, well, yeah, blah, 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 I've got a big fat belly, and people treat me like shit. But then you have that scene with her and Michael Sarah where things come to a real head and she starts talking about how much of a toll this is on her body and her mental state and him being around and not being around and all of that was really great. I miss you. He's like kind of the way that she starts that scene is I miss hanging out with you on school nights. I miss spending time with you. I want to be your friend. And then she backs off when he's just like, no, I... I don't want that. I want more than that. Well, and he and he's like, I've tried to do this before, and you were the one being a dick. <laughs> you broke my heart. You broke my heart. I felt bad for him. Yeah, I, I, yeah. The film has a lot of really good little moments. Like at the end of that fight scene, like he still was like, "Let me pick up your bag." It was like, and then she has her retort about like, "What do ten more pounds?" <laughs> yeah. And um, jumping back, another little reaction. Rachel was just talking about the hospital scene with J.K. Simmons. When he said, um, you know, one day you'll be back here in your own terms. Like, Juno has this, like, five-second silence where it's like, oh, what quirky line is coming? And then all she does is give a little nod, like, oh, that felt, like, very introspective. Yeah. Yeah, like, she's she realises that her dad is right. And I also like the way that... Um, Michael Sarah comes into that scene as well because you brought up that moment before but the way that it's done with Juno's voiceover coming back in mm-hmm. and I really liked that that kind of adds further to the way that that moment with her and J.K. Simmons is her being introspective because you do get the real sense that that voiceover is coming from an older version of Juno mm. yeah I see I really do love it has a lot of little authentic touches, which makes the inauthentic dialogue at points really stick out. Like, so I'm yeah. like, I really love the little details, like 
Michael Cera, he his shoes are all muddy and dirty still after having run all the way there, and he's just holding. Oh, her yeah, and, we get the feet shot. When yeah, in and bed. it's like a really nice little touch. Or him not wanting to see the kid was a nice little little detail to the story that yeah. they didn't need to add. It didn't feel like ours. A lot of yeah. nice quiet moments. Yeah, or even which don't. It, it's good because it doesn't feel out of place because in other films that particularly try and go for the quirkiness mm. and they go to the quite introspective things. It doesn't feel authentic, but it always feels authentic to me. Uh, yeah, I I just wish that the movie wouldn't yo-yo me so much because I'm yo-yoing in and out of its realism. Like, I really like, it's a comedy moment, but I really like the little touch that uh, the stepmother wants a dog. But and she's she not gets allowed the to, puppies. She's not allowed to oh, have yeah, a dog because yeah. Juno's allergic to dog saliva. And it's but she like, gets the puppies. She gets one. But like, I like that scene. Like She's like collaging dogs or whatever. And I like that. It's like, an, again, adding to the realism, adding to the world. And you could say that's a quirky thing. I don't know. I just, it felt authentic to that character. And same with mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons being like... You know, I'm a great air conditioner repairman or whatever that <laughs> it's, it's what I was. It's what he was, it was yeah, made for to made, do or something. Made to do. And like, I like that also, for instance, uh, there's this wonderful moment between um, Jason Bateman and Juno. See, I don't even call him by his character name because it's just Jason Bateman. Where they're playing the guitar and they're do- doing this. And Jennifer Garner's downstairs with the, with the attorney and JK. And JK's like bumming around like, I don't know what's going on. And then Jennifer Garner runs upstairs. And I like in all of this... JK, you would think in that scene there would there'd be the dynamic would be Juno's forming dynamic with Jason Bateman and then Jennifer Garner's forming a dynamic with JK Simmons. But what actually happens is Jennifer Garner forms no dynamic with anyone and JK forms one with the lawyer. Because both <laughs> yeah. of them are like level headed, like <laughs> yeah. no nonsense, like here I am. And it just reinforces like how in the out of state, like how out of this world of this movie Jennifer Garner is. Yeah, wants to be a mother. Yeah, to the yeah, not other things. And but she's her large... own person. She's not having to win favor with Juno or win favor with the dad. No. She's just her own person. Hence, there's that ambiguity of well, is she going to be a good mother? Because well, mm. Jason Bateman's pretty cool, and we get to know him throughout the movie. Again, the point system there, ting yeah. ding ding. But I like that little touch. Like I was noticing it, and like it's weird that J.K. is really connecting with the lawyer more than <laughs> Jennifer Garner. And I just realized, of course he is. Yeah, It makes 100% sense that he is because he's like, I, I just want to yeah. get this. And the lawyer is very much like, yeah, me too. I just want to get this done kind of deal. Yeah. Like, Alrighty then. With her, she's in a she's in a place of convenience where she desperately wants to be a mother and Juno, you know, off the cuff, just really desperately wants to do something nice for someone. So it's like, oh, I'll do something nice for you. Oh, you'll do a nice thing for me. So it's like Mm. automatically, you know, good with each other. Don't have to really get to know each other. Yeah. And also I like the way the Jennifer Garner's character is portrayed in that way of her desperately longing to be a mother, not just to have a child, but to be a mother and to be a parent. Mm. And that adds to why she's still with Jason Bateman, because you do get that sense that she knows that they don't fit together anymore and that it isn't really working out. But she is so set on the goal of becoming a parent, becoming a mother. She doesn't want to really acknowledge that and it isn't until he takes that step where he's just like no I'm I'm gonna stop this now I'm not ready I'm not gonna keep going forward Mm -hmm. and she's just like well 
okay, I guess I'll do this on my own because that's not what she had planned. She always wanted to be a mother, but she always would have imagined a father in that situation. Right, yeah. So in a way, I guess not even like in a really mean-spirited way, she kind of needed him there as like another, I keep using the word point, but like point to make the the thing that she wants happen. Like, oh, I have a father figure for this the child I want. But it goes back to what Juno, Juno says it. Juno says that she feels like a piece of furniture in their perfect life. Yes. And you get that sense that that's a little bit of the way that Jennifer Garner also looks at the world of like, I need this piece and this piece and this piece and everything will fit together and it'll work. If I just have all of the pieces and everything looks good together, Mm -hmm. my life will be perfect and everything will be amazing. And then then Jason I need I need the baby to fit in. I have the house, I have the husband, I need the baby. But then Jason Bateman throws the you know, the monkey wrench in there and screws that all up for her and that pushes her to this sense of maturity that grows beyond that I- simple, simple idea of the perfect thing equals the perfect life because now she's got this imperfect situation by societal standards. She's going to have to do it on her own. She's scared like any mother. What I love about all this is we're talking about this and I'm I'm feeling really compelled. Like, this is really compelling stuff. Yeah. But then, you know, Rachel says this, you say that. You remember I, the rest of the movie? But then I get a flash of Elliot Page with a pipe in their mouth on a couch <laughs> that they've set up an entire lounge room on Malk. Oh, no. Chair. It is a chair. Oh, on a, on they a chair. Make, on they a make chair. so many references. On a lazy boy He's that, really she set up, chair. that she set up an entire lounge room in his mother's front yard. And I just can't help but think of those moments. Yeah, like we're talking about oh, I this compelling dynamic and this thing. compelling dynamic, but then I would just and then it would just flash back to me. It's like oh yeah, they had a whole five minute monologue about how, how his pants are yellow. Uh, All right, yeah, yeah. Like, that, that's a lot more interesting. The thing I was Juno thinking has of. that pipe in multiple scenes. Oh yes, yeah, it's, it, it, it's Juno's pipe. Oh yeah, it's Juno's I was, pipe. I was mainly thinking of the person at the abortion place with like uh, condoms, flavored boyfriends, pie, <laughs> pie, pie dick. Yeah, pie dick. Did you know fingernails? <laughs> that was one of the running jokes that kept getting me. Yeah, it was good. It was yeah. fun. So <laughs> because at... of the original delivery of the chick who delivered, like her, her line delivery of that yeah. really probably... sold that as a recurring joke. Like it really sold the comedic anchor. If, if it was a different delivery, it may not have though, landed as well. A, B, C, and C was like really weird. Though, yeah. to nitpick within the time, I was annoyed with that. <laughs> Because I was like, that sounds wrong. It is. And it technically is. So at about 11 weeks, you get the nail bed. Mm -hmm. But it's not until later in the, uh, I think it was the third trimester, that the actual nail grows. And Juno is about 10 weeks. weeks. She's not even 12 weeks because she says on the phone that it's been two months and four days since she had sex. Right. And the due date is usually calculated from when your period was meant to happen, which mm-hmm. is like 10, 12 days after ovulation. So you have to take around a, the time but, that she so You have to sex. take away a week and a half. As yep. the one in the right. room who in high school studied PDHPE, I've got a. Ca- I did to senior, early childhood to se- development. To senior year. But either way, let me, let me mansplain. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll counter you. Yes, husband. It's not an Etch-a-Sketch, Home Fry. <laughs> <laughs> what the? He is so early in the film that he you never just, comes back. Yeah, you quoting him is like, oh my god, I'm back in the first five minutes. <laughs> Look, I love Rain Wilson. I think he's a great guy. He's one of the redeeming factors of Star Trek Discovery, and I still hate his character in that. But 
I said to Rachel, we were like near the end and I said, oh, he's not coming back, is he? Because he felt like one of those characters that's like, oh, that character she always interacts with and always yeah, knows at and the, yet at he the end never of, comes yeah, back. At the end of the film, he'll give some advice that like really hits home. Like, oh, wow, he's got more depth to him. Oh, no, no. Or you even have like at the end when she's gone through this journey, he was like that snarky guy at the beginning who was like, hey, baby girl, it ain't going to work that way. Home slice, home skillet and all that. And then maybe at the end, you have like a callback, but it's like, he feels like just a random sketch that the writer came up with. The writer came up with home skillet and, and etch a mm. sketch line and they just wanted someone to say it, but there was no one in the actual script that could fit that. So just have a random person say it, a convenience store owner, and just get Rain Wilson to do it. He's a weird kooky guy. <laughs> and it just kind of threw it like Again, see how we reacted just then to yeah. me just saying that? Like, I was obviously being antagonistic or jerk because I wanted to lead up to that because it's just so fucking absurd. And I know it's a comedic line and all, and that's all that, but it's just, uh, it's a yo yo. I, I love and hate this movie so much. <laughs> and I can see why I tolerated it eight years ago because yeah. you go to a certain point where it drops that, or at least it's less visceral feeling. But then every now and then someone will just say a line and you're like, Ooh, oh. Is the... oh, my blog. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She hung her out till the end of the movie, but she honest also... She was one <laughs> of the best partners. Yeah, honest blog. Yeah, she, was, she made a... Bren on one foot and her on the other. And she made the wheelchair crash into a thing. And yeah. she wanted to fuck the teacher. Yeah. Um, Apparently Keith. everybody wanted to fuck Keith. Keith was a cuddly guy. He had a beard. Because like the hot chick is chatting him up and then a bunch of the nerdy girls are, ch- no, no, are, are chatting with she's, him. She's the hot chick. In the monologue where she's no. like... I thought she was the hot chick talking up the no, teacher. No, that was oh, a wasn't different it? one. See, Bartek thinks it is too. I thought I think it was it's... a different chick. No, dude. I think... No, because her friend is a cheerleader. But I don't it's think, her. I don't think she was wearing a cheerleader outfit. There was that sequence in which they were talking about. I, I swear it's her. A... Who cares? Would... <laughs> like in the end, that guy's hot, and we all want to fucking. I, rem- right? I remember. We all want a statutory I, rape wanted, our teacher, right? I wanted to I rem- bring up the when like it calls back to like, but Keith is hot. Um, there's a dude in that group who's looking really pissed off that oh, all, the jock. Of, all of the girls are... No, it's a, I think it's a nerdy looking guy. No, no. Oh, okay. There's in a... the second scene with Keith is the one that I'm talking uh... about. Where the, like, it's the group of them and he's like really annoyed that he's having to wait because they're like... Assumably, uh, like one of them is his, his, his girlfriend, and his girlfriend is busy hitting on a teacher. <laughs> I was um, I was gonna say I didn't notice in the moment if it was the best friend or not, but when I was reading the trivia somewhere, it kept talking about how when it cut to her bedroom when Juno was calling mm. her, there were apparently there were apparently like pictures of hunky guys on the wall, but the teacher's head over their heads or something yeah. like that. I don't. I, uh, it, it was a random, like, extra quirky thing that the best friend owned a rabbit. Yeah, well, of course. Because she's horny. Because also Juno has a pipe. Because mm. quirk. Juno drinks a giant jug of juice at the start because it induces abortion yeah, early the, on and uh, it's a quirk. Vitamin no. C. <laughs> if you drink too much vitamin C. <laughs> yes. From a thing called Sunny D. <laughs> from Sunny D. It's all yes. confusing. I'll ask you this, Rachel, because mm-hmm. you have the, you know, a longer relationship with this. You've watched it more times than either of us. Mm-hmm. You said it early on. Has this film fallen out of favor because the demographic who watched it have now grown up? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think um, the audience has aged out of it 
and the film has aged. So the But they didn't gap, use cell phones. The gap has widened, but it's more in the sensibilities of the script and the style of humor and those random um, moments of different kinds of phobia, like transphobia, homophobia. Sexism in general. There was a bit of fat, it, fat shaming. Yeah, yeah. and slut shaming and all of those things. And it's that thing where the audience has grown up and associates with being beyond those things and being more kind of woke. Less gay. <laughs> Not homophobic gay, but like, you know, that kind of gay. You know, like like a Madison gay? <laughs> like yeah. Madison gay. <laughs> okay, thank you, boys. Um... It was a self-demonstration <laughs> of your point. That was very clever, I thought. Are you, Kaya, are you, are you Cody Diablo here? Diablo Cody. You know, by the way around. Are you Diablo Cody? Should I give you an Oscar nomination for your wit? Yes, because Di- Diablo is not a gay name. No, it's a game name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. <laughs> he set me up at the theater. Go on. Yep. Um, so I think that the, the film feels further behind in time and the audience that originally connected with it have moved on and don't like re-watching it because kind of I, I feel it as well and I assume that other people do. That sense of I don't want to rewatch Juno because I don't want to remember that that's what I was like. Like yeah. it's turned up to eleven in Juno because it's movie world. Yeah, but I well, don't re- want to remember that that's what I wanted to be like at some stage in my life, as well as I had little parts of their attributes in me. Not to interrupt you about it because I think you want to say something, but mm-hmm. how come? John Hughes movies that are teen movies don't suffer this problem. Even though they're very 1980s and they're filled with quirky characters like Ducky and all of that, how come they don't have this? They're filled with quirky zingers and liners and movie world logic and also really, really, really awkward and stuff like The Breakfast Club and, and Sixteen Candles. How come they don't suffer the same thing? I think for me it's... It's hard. But I think... A part of it is that John Hughes movies are more upfront and consistent than Juno is mm. in terms of it's it's the one thing there's no linchpin moment. Mm. It's that like they may have a linchpin like pivotal dramatic moment, but it's not like the tone of the movie completely shifts. It's not yo-yoing. It's not yo-yoing. Maybe we should do some of those old ones on the show sometime. I I you know to me. I agree. You want to say some more? Yeah. So uh, the other thing for me is that John Hughes movies stand up better in the long run because they really feel like they're more about the themes than the characters. Juno feels much more about the characters in their world rather than the experiences that they're going through. John Hughes tends to try and be more universal with those themes that he's bringing in, which I think is what adds to that sense of timelessness. But what do you think, Ryan? There's lots of stuff. I think, yeah, consistency-wise, the Hughes movies are a lot lot more structured and tightened. To me, it comes down to, to this. Comedy. The comedy in John Hughes movies... 
You know, they use the 1980s language that we don't use today, but they're still funny. There's mm. still funny lines. There's still funny moments. There's still very honest moments. You can the have dialogue, a whole film set in like a detention. The yeah. dialogue here, the quirky, humorous dialogue, it's so funny when you f- like when it's in a vacuum. Like it was refreshing. We had never encountered anything like this in that mm. way, but now we have. A million times over. We've seen Juno copycats everywhere. But also, like, it is so of that time. The humor of it is so specific of that time. But also, like, it pushes it too far now in terms of movie world dialogue and reasonability because John Hughes has his quirks and isms and all of that, sure, but they're still set in a movie world logic that we still find consistent and reasonable today and before it was even made. While this, it was refreshing at the time home skillet mm. but it now is. we have all of the tv shows that are trying to be like this. You're, all of them you're saying you're saying that it develops into do you dig on multiverses do you dig on multiverses yes like from yeah. from wish upon like wish upon has very similar type of any joey king project uh kissing booth like kissing booth wants to be juno but it just can't be and to me the john hughes thing has that thing too where everyone wants to be john hughes but i, I think just down to the comedy the comedy hasn't horrifically aged in the way that the comedy in juno has horrifically aged and again no yo-yoing as much like when john hughes's comedy comes into a dramatic scene in something like breakfast club it's not as if it's taken me out of the drama it's just adding to some it's adding some levity in there i know bartek I think you're you're a fan of Breakfast Club, right? Yeah, I have a three pack at home of Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, and Weird Science. But I know that I've seen the other two once, and Breakfast Club a few more times. You've always you've always been more of a fan of of that type of John Hughes than I. Like I'm very much a John Candy, Steve Martin. Like I like the adult stuff, but you have I forget. You and I have yeah. talked about like you like you don't mind the teen era John Hughes stuff, and this. Well, yeah, what was it called? Like Brat Pack or something? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember, but yeah, I know. Yeah, Brat Pack maybe, but like I know you're into mm. that more. How come to you? What do you think about this? How come that kind of stuff still resonates all these decades later? Well, something like Juno, it's kind of turned, and people are against it, and all of that. What do yeah, you think? I, and maybe people feel so awkward about it because they remember their awkward teens. Yet again, how come Breakfast Club, which also reminds I, me of my awkward teens, does it make me feel so awkward? I never want to watch it. I guess it goes to like we haven't used this word yet but like cringe value in a way mm. like is there anything really super cringy about like the John Hughes stuff that you would like pick on specifically like i feel like maybe there's full characterizations that maybe you would mm. look at in parts and say, am i even making sense now no no you are yeah, um, it's when I'm saying parts and full picture. That's where I'm getting a bit confused. I haven't seen a, one of those films in forever. That's why I was thinking, like, maybe I should pick one for the podcast so we can yeah. focus it's on it a while bit since more. I've watched him. I like adult John Hughes, like, when he covers adults yeah. in his movies better. So, Did John Hughes do uh, Baby's Day Out? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I keep forgetting his full film. I mean, oh, sorry, sorry. I also like it when he does babies. <laughs> <laughs> Bartek, I'm wondering if this is kind of what you're meaning, mm-hmm. that... Um, there are attributes of characters within John Hughes movies that feel dated or might feel make you feel cringy, but in Juno, it's all of the character that makes you feel cringy. 
That's close to what I was saying. Yeah, it's similar to what you're saying, but also kind of opposite. Like, the strong elements from the Juno one is, like, the dialogue. Mm. Whereas the rest of the character, you know, I like this old kind of music. I react to things in this really unnatural way. You can kind of see, like, you know, humor in that. Maybe maybe with John Hughes stuff, when you have a full characterized thing, you would look at the elements and think, like, oh, yeah, those are a bit cringy, but, like, you have a full character there that has more going on, maybe? I think, I think one thing, where one word we haven't mentioned that you always mention with John Hughes is sentimental. Yeah. I think Juno yeah. lacks a coherency in its sentimentality because it is so jaded a lot of the time, yeah. but it is sentimental. Like, it really is emotional. But John Hughes, I, is, yeah, it's but... sentimental from the start. Even though he has edgy teen and characters and quirk, in it. it's always, the music yeah, is always let's... sentimental. It's, it's you know, it hits the beats. That's why I love Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. As much as it is a buddy road trip adult comedy, it's sentimental from yeah. the very let's, beginning. Yeah. yeah, let's not forget one of the things I pointed out from Juno that I really liked was the exact last thing you see, the yeah. kiss. Yeah, and it was sweet. And I think Juno just doesn't have that as overwhelmingly as much. And that's what we've been saying. Like, we like the sweet moments. We like the realistic moments. We like down-the-earth moments. These are the things that I guess someone like John Hughes and some other people have nailed down far greater than this. And I even yeah. think, the like grounded. I said... grounded nature of those moments and even, make them very attractive and even jennifer's body i think is an improvement on that element as as well like i legitimately felt things for the characters all the way through while this i was in and out of it there's a point that i've been keeping as a bookmark in my head waiting to bring it up and it mm. relates to the trivia point we brought up that this film has no uh, mobile phones yes to not age it to not age it no which is hilarious yeah so i read somewhere that uh Someone looked at this film and noticed a lot of like traditional conservative values. Like, yes, which hence I mentioned before, the, like the pro-life yeah. thing being something adopted onto this but, movie. But even like we have, you know, that father character who like dishes out wisdom, is a bit snappy, kind of like that. Mm. And it makes me realize, like, yeah, this is a film about teenagers where they don't have mobile phones, but they also don't really. There's no like internet or social media presence that like. Yeah. I think shortly after 2007 would be, like, a really key thing. Like, I got Facebook in 2009, and that was, like, late for me. Mm -hmm. So when we say that people grew out of this, you could also see that it was slightly becoming dated even at that point, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, it's a hard one to say. Like, I, I didn't mind n none of those things and just the characters going uh, through stuff. Oh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't bothered by it or anything, but I just meant, like, you know, relating to it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't think of it too much. Until I read the trivia point, I didn't really notice the cell phone things. Yeah, me neither. I was engrossed in the story, but, it, yeah, I don't know. It's... It's far away from, you know, Black Annie's Instagram saves the day. Oh, yeah, 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 Blanny. Uh, and Rose Byrne does a little dance, yeah. Uh, <laughs> on some, like, fucking stairs, yeah. <laughs> Where was that? Yeah, I don't know. I think Juno is an interesting movie. I think it deserved its attention and praise, for sure. And I think it does deserve some reevaluation. I don't think it deserves the absolute venom it has gotten yet again when i say that i can't help but think of honest to blog <laughs> like i can't <laughs> help but think of it ain't an etch a sketch and oh. then i go you know what it does deserve it. and it's that weird i haven't yeah i haven't looked too closely into the hate the film has gotten i'm curious to look that up when i get home yeah like i know it's just one of those films where we've seen it in our lifetime many times there was films that were beloved and then turned against like obviously avatar being the most iconic one like 
just Avatar, right, James Cameron's right, yep. Avatar. Everyone loved that movie, but then it's like now everyone you know like agrees that it was a boring movie where nothing happened and no one cares. It was all special effects. It was all special effects, but at the time there was like a solid like few years there where everyone was like, yeah. "Oh, the best movie I ever remem- made," and I was like, and I remember going, "But it was nothing happened." I remember, yeah, I would have a lot of. Whether it's conversations with people my own age or when I was, like, running, you know, retreat days in my last years of high school, I would ask people, like, oh, so what are some of your favourite movies? And Avatar was a really, really common answer. At least this film has substance outside yeah. of just a technical marvel. You know, I, I think it's a, I think it's worth watching. I, I, I recommend Juno. Uh, I appreciate it a lot more after doing this conversation with it, yeah. Yeah, what about you, Rachel? Do you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You sound positive enough. Yeah, like, it's it's what a lot of our conversation was about, was there's really good moments, and then there's moments that make it feel cheap or too quirky. Mm. And I think you know if it's going to be too much for you, but I think going into it, you should know that the quirk does dive off after the first act. I think w- another thing to mention, we I mentioned Jennifer's body. There's a few other things that I've seen from this writer and know of. And it seems like with Jennifer's body too, why that one works well, even though that film was maligned for quite some time, and we talked about that in our episode, a lot of that came down to the marketing of the movie. They marketed it as the hot girl movie when it's more than that. Yeah, that's right. It was a lot more like conservative than we were thinking. Yeah, and it had a different... It was just different to what it was advertised. Uh... The quirkiness in a coming-of-age teen thing is so normal. But that quirkiness that was this unique style to a horror movie that was Jennifer's body as well as a teen coming-of-age, that blending together was was is still fresh and unique and fun and interesting in comparison to how many teen movies have you seen that like Juno? A whole ton. Even before Juno, like, yeah, you know, like, we've seen a lot of them, but putting that aspect onto, like, a what was just a succubus movie was really refreshing and interesting. So when I've seen other uh, Di- Diablo Cody uh, yeah, movies, yeah. scripts, where it's like, oh, and now Charlize Theron is a pregnant mother, and she's having to do it, and it's like, yeah, I've seen that too with these quirky, you know, like, okay, cool. And so this one, you know, I still recommend Bartek. Uh, your oh, actually, one of the things I noted down was the film Tully, which is the one where Charlize Theron is a pregnant mother going through stuff. Was a, mm-hmm. initially they were working on it as like a follow up to Juno. And that was a really weird trivia point. Transformed into something else. Obviously, things are a bit more complicated now with with uh, you know, Elliot coming out. But mm-hmm. would you have ever? Would you ever or have ever wanted to see? a follow-up to Juno? Like, where's Juno? Like, does Juno become a mom? What's Juno like as a full-grown adult? Do you want to see Twin Peaks The Return of Juno? (laughs) (laughs) There was a trivia point where, like, the director was talking to producers that were like, let's do a sequel. And he's like, what would we do? She gets pregnant again? (laughs) Yeah, she gets pregnant again. I I was going to say, of course not. But then when you mentioned Twin Peaks The Return, it's like, oh, like, what kind of reimagining could there be? And, I mean, time has passed... Obviously, like I said, things are a bit more complicated now, but, like, would you have ever, or would you? I wouldn't, because even from the first watching, this was just kind of my headcanon, which was that 
the voiceover that Juno is doing is her reflecting on her first pregnancy mm-hmm. when either she's like she's back Anna has given birth to a child that is she is going to raise. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. that that that's why the like the story ends there because it's the journey of her pregnancy and reflecting on those decisions now that she's chosen to actually become a mother. That's yeah. the way that I've always seen it. I know that there's a movie that has been on my watch list for quite some time because I'm a fan of this actress, uh, Jenny Slate, who is a fun comedic actress. She's been in Parks and Rec and she was in Big Mouth, everyone's favourite show, Big Mouth. She recently quit Big Mouth because she voiced a black character while she herself is not right. black. Um, she has a movie Cleveland. called... Uh, uh, obvious Child, which is like a semi-autobiographical movie, and that one's apparently very good. It's like people often say it's a companion piece to Juno, but this one is very like very obviously from the slant of pro-choice and like has a much more mature element. And she's an older person, like, you know, early twenties, and dealing with that kind of aspect. So that would be one I would definitely want to check out at some point. I just want to raise it up mm. if if like I. I've heard like it's a more if you if you don't mind Juno but you want to see a kind of more nuanced or more kind of mature uh, element of this kind of similar story then that's a film to check out and I like Jenny Slate she's she's really she's really fun and she's got a very interesting look about her I was gonna say you bringing up that the film's a bit more pro-choice probably breaks Diablo Cody's heart when the trivia thing mm. is like oh if I had one regret it's that I didn't point out that this was pro-choice and then in the same trivia section it mentions this obvious child as the pro-choice version of Juno <laughs> while Juno's a pro-life version I could just hear Diablo Cody's heart breaking poor, poor Diablo but she won an Oscar for it, didn't she? This didn't I can't remember if she won an Oscar, if, if it won any Oscars. I know it was nominated for a bunch. She uh, won something at some point. Bartek, yeah. are you going to win us over by telling us what you're recommending for next episode of Pictures Power? I can do that for you. I, I, I... The Academy's here. We're judging. <laughs> Will he win the award for good choice? Oh, shit. Well, I'm, I'm nervous because one of the things that I... The th- thing that I chose is something that I remember you said you wanted to see at some point. Oh. So I don't know if that's a bad thing in your okay, book. Like, see. oh fuck, I wanted to see that. Yeah. Um I went with the killing of a sacred deer. Ah. Have you ended up seeing that? Nope. Okay, so you haven't You're seen lucky it yet. One. Yeah. Is this your not is this your foreign choice or yes, non foreign choice? Foreign. This is a foreign This is well, it's non American specifically. Oh, yes. It's a Yorgos film. <laughs> Yorgos Lanthimos, the director. Mm. Oh, well, uh, Killing of Sacred Deer. That's the Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman one, right? I know Colin Farrell's there. I can't remember the lead actress. I thought Nicole Kidman was the mother in it, but maybe we'll find out next week on Pictures Power. It's more my ignorance than my confidence. Oh, well, Nicole Kidman's an Australian actress with a really big forehead. And she's a kid man, right? She's a kid, man. Was she Mulholland Drive or was that someone else? No, that was Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts. Nicole Kidman's the one who was married to Tom Cruise for a bit. Yep. (laughs) And Nicole Kidman was in the best film ever made. You want to take a guess? Stepford Wives. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) (laughs) Which, where was Jennifer Garner in that movie? (laughs) Is she going to play the... Right, we've already done so many Jennifer Garner films, we have to... Dude, dude, why did we ever think that Paul Giamatti was our spirit animal when really Jennifer Garner's been just secretly dominating the battle zone from very early on? I think we've done like one less Paul Giamatti film than Jennifer Garner at this point. But but definitely for that first show we did... First show, Unappreciated Masterpieces, there are only the three. Oh man, she's something 
something else. Uh, all right, that's it. Rachel, thank you for joining us on this one. Make this sure was really good. Listening people to check Rachel's amazing Star Trek Discovery re- rewatch podcast out, uh, Yum Yum Podcast. I, I hear it's pretty yum yum. I hear that other host guy, he's pretty yum yum too. Uh, I think she's married to that guy. Wow, she's cheating on me? <laughs> Uh, Bartek, a pleasure as always Uh, Where can the listening people find us on the internet? You can find us on the internet at Facebook We have a page Mm. called Spit and Polish You can find us on Twitter We're on there as well Just look up Spit and Polish Presents on Twitter Mm. We have an email that you can contact us directly at Which is Spit and polished past tense at gmail.com spit and polished at gmail.com yeah you can hit us up with your recommendations for movies it's not just rachel recommending them yep you can give us a recommendation on any of the things i just listed even our youtube channel we Mm. we have fun times on there we do yeah we get a lot of comments some of them are recommendations so you can some of them them some of them are people telling us their names saying hello i'm lance are you interested (laughs) in knowing who i am and i give you a love heart reaction Uh, It's a fun time. We're having a ball. 2021 kicking off to a fiery start. Uh, Until next time, home fry, home skillet. Uh, Let's get out of here, you prego ego. Uh, Phuket Island. I think that was a line. I'll take your word for it. You know what? You could literally say the dumbest thing right to my face and say, that was a line someone said in the movie, and I'll take your word for it. I did not.